Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Tuesday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. You can always reach us on the text line 46862 as we're going to get in touch with us on the show this morning. Just type in CK first in your question or comment. I will run through how you can stream Twitter, all that in just a bit. Busy day on the show today. We'll talk with Bryce Vance in hour number two, around 830. Behind the Rails podcast on the Believe Network. Breaking down Purdue. Talk a little Big Ten, maybe a little Notre Dame as well. But Purdue gets a bit of a break. Uh, we'll detail more on that around 730. Uh, yeah, 730 or so. Plus, the Big Ten showing they don't deserve their TV deal. Uh, like, we're in the beginning stages of this. We're not even to 2024 when it's the full thing. And I think you and I both agree it's been an absolute disappointment, not only for the Big Ten, but also the networks. This conference has three good teams and everybody else pretty much stinks. Uh, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Uh, Plus, Jonathan Taylor, when will he return to Colts practice? Well, we now know. We'll get to that after headlines. Plus, an NBA player you never heard of just got a mega contract. Uh, this, this, uh, I was stunned. I saw this yesterday and I thought, who? Mm. Like, uh, how have I never heard of this guy? Uh, also, in hour number two at about 8.05, a legendary coach who should be on the chopping block. We'll get to that. Plus, the pitch clock works. Angel Hernandez doesn't. We'll get a little preview of MLB postseason and behind the numbers on both of those things. And uh, speaking of baseball, before we leave you, would you eat the Schwarberger? Yes, Kyle Schwarber has his own burger that you can purchase at Phillies games. So the former Indiana Hoosier, former Cub, now with his own signature dish Hmm. in Philly. Interesting. A lot to get to today. I'm I'm fired up today. Well, you came in, said you were tired, and you started the show, and it was like a completely different person. I know. So let's go. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. It's October 3rd. Uh, happy October 3rd to all who celebrate. Very specific reverence that probably very few in the audience understand. I don't get October 3rd. What's you October don't? 3rd? Mean Girls. Ah. Uh, yes. I've never seen it. What? My wife has, but it's. I, I guess it's not, like, for me, it came out when I was in high school, so it was a very popular gotcha. movie that has staying power, but for you, Maybe I don't, a bit, I don't know. A bit, a bit past... Well, yeah. I, I, it makes sense because I think it was big for my wife when she was in high school and she's five years younger than me. Yeah, so, so that's why. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly why. So today is October 3rd. Happy October 3rd again to all who celebrate. Headlines this morning. Uh, people who aren't happy, New York Giants fans. Oh, Daniel Jones just got sacked again. Yeah. Nine times. Nine. Yikes. And the worst part is you can blame the offensive line for being bad, but it's not just on the offensive line. I mean, this guy who got a mega contract, uh, the Giants at least stuck with him through this year and probably next. Good luck with that. Um, The Giants and Daniel Jones are perfect proof that in the NFL, everyone is reaching for an elite quarterback, and if you don't have that guy and you think you do and you give him big money, it does not work out well. You want to know Daniel Jones' record on primetime games? For his career? I'll career. say one in eight. No, one in twelve. Oh, not great. And he got and he's big 0-7 money. Seven on Monday Night Football. He got big money, and everybody, the simpletons, will say, "Well, Daniel Jones isn't getting protection." 
like Justin Fields isn't getting protection. It's your job to get rid of the ball before you get sacked. Sometimes it's inevitable, right? Yeah. Other times you're holding the ball way too long. You have no pocket presence to know when the rush is coming and the pocket is collapsing. And Daniel Jones is like that. He has no pocket presence whatsoever. He has no sense. And he just sits back there the majority of time and just gets sacked. Like there were a couple times where he would even escape yesterday and then still try to make a play instead of just throwing the ball away, including that fumble, that strip fumble. No, no, no pocket sense whatsoever. So it's not simply saying, well, he doesn't have protection. He has no ability to play the position when there's pressure. My apologies. I shortchanged him. He was sacked 10 times. 10 times um, On the season, 22 times in just four games. Two touchdowns, six picks on the year. Daniel Jones, to me, is the perfect example of guys who simply don't pass the eye test. And what I mean by that is guys who all the draft nicks are obsessed with, but as people who watch them in college, you thought, what? Who? Why? <laughs> This and guy, not only that, he gets a, a, a big contract extension. I mean, for what? He, is he better than Mitch Trubisky? Yes. Obviously, he's, he's better than Mitch Trubisky. But th- this is the same kind of player, right? A, a guy who everyone gets obsessed with because they have one good year in college and they have all the measurables. But beyond that, they don't have anything. Now, to be fair, Anthony Richardson fell under that category coming into the NFL, but what we've seen so far is at least promising. And you knew he was more of a, pro- a project coming in as far as accuracy and learning and needing time, whereas Daniel Jones, you know, you didn't have those excuses coming into the NFL. He is who he is, and he is essentially Kirk Cousins 2.0. And what I mean by that is he's Kirk Cousins, but able to run the football a little bit more. That's it. Like he is, he is the, the NFL's new version of Kirk Cousins. I don't even think he's as good as Kirk Cousins. He I, is the, the running quarterback version of Kirk Cousins, which is, again, how the NFL has shifted, right? Uh, away from pocket guys to guys who can scramble and, and run. That's who he is. He had a decent year last year. Decent, though. Decent. It was, it was like not. 15 he didn't, touchdowns over 16 games is yeah. not good. No. He didn't turn the ball over very much last year, but he wasn't good. And then he gets that max contract, and he's just been terrible this year. Giants are bad. I don't understand what you saw out of Daniel Jones, other than you're just hoping and praying that he's a franchise quarterback and you give him big money. The Giants are just terrible. They deserve everything they get for Daniel Jones being mediocre at best. You want to know the last time Daniel Jones threw three or more touchdowns in a game? I'll say his rookie season. 2019. Uh, That was his rookie year. Yes. 2019, where he had 24, a career high 24 touchdown passes. Yeah. In today's NFL, uh, if you're not throwing for at least 3,000 yards uh, above, what, 65% completion in 30 touchdowns, you're not a good quarterback. And he's also a quarterback that cannot get it done when it matters. The pick six at, what, the two? Yeah. Last night to Devon Witherspoon, a guy we've talked about on this show because he's a big part of what Illinois had defensively the last couple of years. And he's been in, incredibly good for Seattle as a rookie. And just, it, it's, he's a terrible, terrible quarterback. And cannot get it done when it matters. Just like Justin Fields. And I know I got some heat yesterday about that. Justin Fields throws a pick six, or fumble yeah, for a touchdown when you're up seven. 
and throws a pick at the end when he didn't have to throw the pick. Uh, bad, bad, bad interception or uh, intentional grounding the play before. Just a, a dude that all five is interesting. All five of Justin Fields' turnovers this year have come in the fourth quarter. What's that tell you? He's not a gamer. He cannot perform when the pressure is on, and neither can Daniel Jones. The difference is Justin Fields doesn't have a hell of a lot of money coming his way, but Daniel Jones does. Yeah. At least the guaranteed money is, but at least the entire contract isn't guaranteed. But the Giants are going to have to do some soul searching. It's going to be interesting. If in the re- in the pre in the off season of one season they give him a big contract and a season later they get rid of him because I wouldn't be surprised. Text coming in at four six eight six two. Gardner Minshew is way better than Daniel Jones. I think that was plain to start with at yeah. the beginning of the season. Yeah, I don't think anything changed. It's just Daniel Jones got more money because the Giants reached after one decent season. wasn't even good. One decent season by Daniel Jones. Uh, meanwhile, in Monday Night Football, I guess the highlight of the game, did you see the reaction on the Manning cast by Peyton and Eli Manning <laughs> to the pick six? Eli just goes, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then they both put up the uh, surrender cobras, which is the, <laughs> the hands above your heads. If you watch college football, you're very aware of this yes. surrender cobra. And Eli's face just goes <laughs> blank once Weatherspoon's you know, right around midfield. He's just staring off into the abyss like what, what, what is happening. So that was probably the highlight of the game last night. Yeah, the Manning cast was pretty solid yesterday. I caught that the the halftime interview with Eli, and even he was trying to make something sound exciting from that game yesterday. And then, and then like the poor tackling for the Giants didn't end up leading to a touchdown because they initially called it a touchdown, but he was actually down at the one, the fifty-one yard pass and run mm-hmm. that. Seemingly nobody tried to tackle him. Everybody just tried kept trying to shove him out of bounds and he wouldn't go out of bounds. Ran down the sidelines for 50 some yards and almost a touchdown. The Giants are bad. They haven't scored a touchdown in the first half all season. Four games, no touchdowns in the first half. Last night they didn't score a touchdown at all. But yeah, Giant, Giants are terrible. Meanwhile, in Major League Baseball, Phil Nevin out as the manager of the Los Angeles Angels. Not really surprised there. Uh, the Angels went 73 and 89, failed to make the playoffs this year. Um, just pretty simple move. I, I don't think there's any surprise here. Meanwhile, the Yankees, for some reason, are continuing to pound their heads into the sand because Aaron Boone expected to be back. Hmm. It, it, like, at what point, and at what point is it more on management, upper management? Are doing the same things again and again and not getting results because that's where I feel like the Yankees are at. I, yeah, I'm enjoying but, it, but yeah, right. Whether it's the the manager, the players, the whatever, the the mindset of the front office, I don't know. Um, but Aaron Boone, really, the only time you see him is when he's going off on an umpire and getting thrown out. Worst record for the Yankees since 1992, but. This is the only the first year in which they've missed the playoffs in his six years. So I don't know if I'm ready to make a move and say Aaron Boone is the problem after just one year of not making the playoffs. Oh, no, it's, I, I don't, I'm not blaming Aaron Boone. I'm blaming Brian Cashman because he's been right. there forever and it's time to move on. Uh, if, if you're Yankees ownership, can you not see that his time has come and gone? I don't know. That, that's just me.
I think he deserves another year, but they def- desperately <laughs> need to upgrade that roster. Are you saying he deserves another year because another year of mediocrity is, is great? Well, no, for- this is the first year that they've missed the playoffs with Aaron Boone. Oh, I'm talking Brian Cashman, though. Oh, Cashman, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah that's a different story. He's had plenty of opportunities. Plenty of He's been there since, what, like 97? Yeah. Um, Antiquated approach to building rosters for Brian Cashman. This isn't the early 2000s anymore. He, he it, Before, it was, okay, we'll let everybody else develop talent, and then we'll sign that talent after they deserve big money. But that, that hasn't worked for the Yankees in quite some time. Uh, quadruple header of games, wild card day. Excited to watch some playoff baseball today. You have all four games across the ESPN network. So Rangers and Rays, three o'clock on ABC. Uh, Blue Jays and Twins, four thirty on ESPN. Diamondbacks, Brewers, seven on ESPN two. And at eight, you have Marlins and Phillies on ESPN. So all best of three series, right? Yes, correct. Okay. So looking forward to this playoff baseball is one of my favorite things in sports. It, it's just different. And in particular, uh, the early rounds are hard to kind of get too hyped up for. But once you get to the NL and ALCS, that's where I feel like it, it starts real. to get really, really good. Well, in the, in a short series, though, too, game one's incredibly important. So a lot of important baseball being played. People look at it and will say, well, the best teams aren't playing in this round. Yeah, but this is a short series. If you can steal one, and all three of these games are at the home field of the higher seed. So it's not like if Texas steals game one, they the, the series then goes back to Texas, or if they get a game two in Texas, that's not, not how it works. So Tampa Bay will host all three. Minnesota hosts, hosts all three, et cetera, et cetera. So in a short series, anything can happen. If you get a dynamite performance out of a starting pitcher today, and then only have to win one of the last two games in the series, you're sitting pretty good. So today, important four games to start the playoffs in Major League Baseball. Meanwhile, Matt Painter's picked up a recruit for the class of 2024. Uh, this uh, CJ Cox, a 6'2 combo guard from Milton Academy in Massachusetts. Uh, not really rated by the recruiting services, but if you're Matt Painter, that really doesn't matter because he's great at developing players. Other offers included Miami of Ohio, UMass, American, and Dartmouth. Um, Purdue also has a really good recruiting class coming in. Kanan Catchings, a five-star guy with overtime elite who was from Brownsburg. Raleigh Burgess of Cincinnati and shooting guard Jack Benner of Brownstown Central in Southern Indiana, also part of that class. One thing that I notice is you mentioned those other offers at Ivy League schools. Yes. I mean, this is a smart kid, smart dude. And he played... um, AAU against uh, Flory Badunga, and I think that's where he really broke out. Uh, and I'm sure Matt Painter had seen him before, but Matt Painter apparently was there to see a longtime target, Travis Perry, and then ended up going, Who's this kid? CJ Cox, and um, scouted him more and liked what he saw. So a good addition for Purdue. People will be obsessed with where he is ranked and where he's not ranked. But this is a smart basketball player who's a rangy kid that can shoot 43% from three-point range at a, at a uh, national event over the summer and is, is really, really good at his craft. So maybe Purdue getting him before he breaks out into the mainstream, potentially, but at the very least, getting a very, very intelligent basketball player. The Indiana Fever's Aaliyah Boston, named the unanimous WNBA Rookie of the Year, averaged 14.5 points. 
nearly eight and a half rebounds, two assists. WNBA WNBA high 57.8% from the field. First rookie ever to lead that category. And the accolades go further than that. Uh, to be named Rookie of the Year and All-Star Starter in the same season, she joins Shamika Holdsclaw in 1999, Maya Moore in 2011. Pretty good list there. To go even further uh, than that, just the fifth player to win WNBA Rookie of the Year unanimously. The rest of that list, Candace Parker in 2008, Tina Charles in 2010, Elena Del Don in 2013, and Asia Wilson in 2018. That's Those are really good yeah. lists to be on. Does that mean the Fever are going to be any good anytime soon? I'd say been bad for a long yes, time. Yes, I would say they'll get another good draft pick. And if that pick pans out, because remember, they had high draft picks for several years and they were getting cut like either that season or the next season. So they just need one more player to pan out. And I feel like they're going to be a playoff contender. They had a lot of close games this year. They just weren't able to close because, well, they're a young team and they need a little bit more talent. Haven't made the playoffs in the WNBA since 2016. It's been a bit, but I feel like they're they're kind of in a similar spot as the Pacers where they finally got that star player they needed. And they just got to build around them. We shall see uh, elsewhere on headlines. One other notes in racing, Michael Andretti's application has been approved by the FIA for a formula one entry. This would be an American team that would include an American driver. However, still needs approval from the F1 teams themselves. And that as of now seems unlikely. Doesn't, like a, think of it like this so there's 10 teams in formula one okay and they get a lot of money and if a, a an additional team comes in that means they have to split the pie 11 ways instead of 10 ways and the team principals and owners of those teams are like well wait a minute we're getting less money than if we did and if we had 10 teams so that's why it's incredibly difficult to have more teams in formula one is money and i don't really blame the 10 teams so what Andretti needs to do is say is 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 make a case that it can be financially viable and increase the value of the sport so more money comes into those other 10 teams. But those 10 teams really don't want to share the pie. Which, uh, in theory, he's already done that with this application being approved on, on that side and the fact that General Motors would enter the sport for the first time, all those things. But yeah. again... It's a it's, all it's about an elite the money. club though that they don't want anybody in the club. Correct, pretty much. Uh, did you see Jimmy Butler yesterday? Yeah, uh, people were saying uh, Karen Butler <laughs> as like, as a, a way that weird people refer like, to people who are sleek, straight hair. Uh, also said that he's gonna be a uh, country artist after he retires, like a singer. Like he's already Is has that because he has that. What is it, that Michelob Ultra ad of him singing to uh, Hootie and the Blowfish? I have no idea. All <laughs> is that, I know is that is the weird connection supposedly there? Supposedly he has like recorded music already. But uh, Is he friends with Darius Rucker? Is that part of it? Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But uh, interesting look for Jimmy Butler yesterday. Between the piercings and the hair, a little different. He's done this several times. This is nothing new. It is. It is. It is. It's kind of that first day of uh, reporting to training camp in the NFL, and you see how people show up or whatever, you know, or or the NBA is is that's how Jimmy Butler's trying to trying to roll. Four six eight six two. Your text line number four six eight six two. You can also stream us thirteen eighty thefan dot com on the free thirteen eighty the fan app or your smart speaker, and reach us on Twitter. Caleb Kinney thirteen eighty is the show handle. My handle is Caleb Hatch. Justin's is J. Kenny OPS. And the station, 
1380 The Fan. That is how you follow us and reach us on there. Meanwhile, Jonathan Taylor will return to Colts practice on Wednesday. Head coach Shane Steichen of the Colts says there could be a chance Taylor plays uh, on Sunday. Now, he's not mandated to speak to the media until he's activated to the 53-man roster, so that's part of why he hasn't had to speak. I mean, obviously, he could speak any time, but Steichen adds that Taylor's in good shape conditioning-wise. This could be a game-changer if he comes back and is ready to play and, and produce and perform. I think he, he increases the outlook for the Colts by two to three wins on the year. And I know you disagree. You don't think a running back adds anything. But I really think having a rookie quarterback, it makes a big difference having a player of his talent on the field. If, again, if he goes about it with the right attitude, knowing that he's got to earn that next contract and, and not just uh, go through the motions and, and pout in, in the process. Well, that's why I have my doubts. Because he hasn't handled this whole situation well from the outset. So I have no confidence in that he's going to be able to do it all of a sudden maturely from here on out. That's my thing. I think he's still going to be more than a, a distraction than what he's worth on the field. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he comes in and goes to work and keeps his mouth shut and lets his play do the talking for himself and for the team. But that hasn't been how it's gone so far. And nor do I expect that to change. So we'll see. Make note that they did not say that he was going to practice. It's that he's available to practice, which means who knows if Jonathan Taylor even chooses to practice. You would hope he does. I would assume he'll be out there. And I I just, I think at some point, Here's my thing with Jonathan Taylor. At some point, you realize you you need something to back up the talk. And coming off an injury, you have to perform. At some point, I would think someone has said to him, or he has realized himself, that when he comes back, he needs to be healthy, he needs to go out there and, and go back to being the player he was in 2021 if he wants to get the contract he thinks he deserves. And we, we've continued to say that, basically. That's what it is. You need to come out and perform to get that contract. And we'll see if he does. But how he's approached the situation so far doesn't make me optimistic that he will. Hopefully for Colts fans, he does. And he's a difference maker. But he needs to show that he's able to be that and do that. So we'll see. I mean, it's not like he's been a visible presence around the facility and games and all that stuff. So... Shane Steichen can say all the right things yesterday, but it's all about Jonathan Taylor's actions this week for me. Steichen says he's been in contact with Taylor throughout everything. These are positive signs. The, the running backs coach says that he's he's excited and that Taylor's ready to go. I mean, everyone's they're going to say all everyone's that saying great thing. I get that right, but. If if he wasn't ready to go, do you think they would say like there wouldn't even be talk of the Colts activating him if he wasn't ready to go? No, I think the injury has been a farce since the beginning. Um, I think it was just basically to give him time to figure stuff out or him and the Colts and they came up with something Um, there. Of course, they're going to say all this stuff doesn't mean that Jonathan Taylor is going to come in and and be a good teammate. I think it's wishful thinking at this point. 
Jonathan Taylor can say all the right things over the phone, but the point, point of the fat matter is, is he hasn't been at the facility very much over the first four weeks. He hasn't been, has he been at any games over the four weeks? Not Doesn't not seem like a, a guy that's engaged to me. Engaged in helping the Colts and getting better. Not there with his teammates, and all of a sudden he's going to show up in week five and expect to just be accepted by everybody else and come in, let alone the fact that he is a dude that you would hope as one of your best players would take on some sort of leadership role. And that obviously is not happening because he's not around. So he's going to come in and hopefully go to work and, and, and be a man and do his job and keep his mouth shut. But he hasn't been able to do those things yet. He hasn't been present to help the Colts help a young quarterback in any way he could. Hey, I'm out for the first four weeks, but I'm going to be here. Anything you got got to, to run by me and, and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. No, he hasn't been doing that. He's out for himself. So hopefully he comes in and gives the Colts what they want and also raises his stock in the process. But how he's handled this through the preseason and the regular season the first four weeks, I have my doubts. I'd say let bygones be guy, bygones if if – People are ready to move forward. Let's move forward. Get back to playing football. That, that's the way I look at this whole situation. I think if and he's I think, willing to do that, then I think the Colts should be willing to do that. You move forward and you have success together. I agree. That's why the comments from Shane Steichen. I think he's he's laying that groundwork right. But let bygones be bygones. Come back and do work. Who knows if Jonathan Taylor can reciprocate? Four six eight six two. Your text line number again. Four six eight six two. If you have thoughts on Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor's return to the Colts, let us know on the text line. Coming up on the other side, Purdue gets a huge break ahead of their matchup this weekend against Iowa. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty, the fan and one hundred point nine FM. This is mean. Uh, you didn't have to play loser as we're watching <laughs> Daniel Jones highlights on TV here in the studio. Just seemed to fit. I mean, it does, but it, it's it's a little mean. I. Our production director is a Giants fan. I'm sure it's going to be an Poor interesting guy. conversation when I chat with him this morning. I uh, just saw the stat. 24 lost fumbles in his career, most since 2019 in the NFL. He's just not good. Justin Fields is not good. We've seen enough of, of Justin Fields. We've seen enough to, of Daniel Jones to know that they're not good quarterbacks. The problem for the Giants is they already gave him a lot of money for some reason. I don't get it. I don't want to hear Danny Dimes ever again. <laughs> can we just can we quit uh, that nonsense, please? It's <sighs> probably being called a lot of different things in New York this morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the New York Post headline is <laughs> something. In fact, I'm probably going to look that up during the break because now I'm, I'm very curious what it looks like. Uh, meanwhile, for Purdue, coming up this weekend, they get a huge break. Iowa quarterback Cade McNamara likely out for the season due to a leg injury suffered against Michigan State last Saturday. Uh, You may recognize the name from his time at Michigan. He led the Wolverines to their first college football playoff appearance in 2021, um, then transferred. Um, Iowa now turns to Deacon Hill, who threw for 115 yards against Michigan State in relief, a Wisconsin transfer. This is a bad offensive team for Iowa, and that was with Caden McNamara. They were bad. 22.2 22.2 points per game, 102nd in FBS. One of the teams worse than them, IU, who was, what, 103rd coming into last Saturday. You also have the interesting dynamics of Brian Ferentz, who's Kirk Ferentz's son, as the offensive coordinator, needing to hit the 25 points per game mark to keep his job. 
which is such a low bar, and yet they are under that bar. So Purdue has an opportunity here. You have a guy making his first start at quarterback. You have a terrible offense. You have everything going on at Iowa in, in regards to administration. There's a new AD, Beth Getz, uh, I believe is there on an interim. And then she took over for Gary Barta, longtime AD. who was buddy-buddy with Kirk Ferentz. I don't think Ferentz has that same you know luxury now. And so there's a lot, I feel like, on the line for Iowa this season. And Purdue has an opportunity to play a massive spoiler here. And they're 1-0 on the road because they were able to go to Blacksburg and get a win over Virginia Tech earlier this season. This is only their second road game of the year. Iowa is coming off a win over Michigan State that at least softened the blow a little bit in the loss of Cade McNamara. But still, Iowa's 4-1 here. Got shut out of Penn State. I know McNamara's out. They have a Wisconsin transfer. What you said... Uh, the 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 new quarterback. What's his De- name? So Deacon, Deacon Hill. Hill. Yeah, sounds like the name Wisconsin. of a neighborhood like in the South. Deacon Hill or a Southern town. <laughs> Going to move into the Deacon Hill neighborhood. Yes. But, uh, came in was serviceable last week over Michigan State. 115 yards and a touchdown through a pick, and obviously a considerable step down for Cade McNamara. But if you look at Purdue, and you say, okay, defensively. They should be able to limit Iowa. And this is a defense that has struggled this season. Looked better against Illinois, but they should have looked better against Illinois. Illinois is not good. But you give up 39 points to Fresno, give up 35 to Syracuse, 38 to Wisconsin. You have trouble stopping offenses. The good thing is you may not be facing a college offense on on Saturday (laughs) against Iowa. Conversely, You look at the signs that Hudson Card showed, positive signs, completing almost 70% of his passes, 217 yards, two touchdowns. Most importantly, didn't throw a pick first time since week two of the season at Virginia Tech. So this is a game that if you look at Purdue and being able to steal a road game, I don't know if I would favor Purdue, but it becomes closer with Cade McNamara out. I'm sure this will, will will deteriorate into an ugly game, but Purdue has a shot here, provided they can avoid turnovers. Right now, Iowa fi- uh, favored by two and a half. The over-under at 38 and a half, which is exceptionally low. Yeah, it was 41, and then it went down. The, the line for, what was it? It was over the weekend. Was it Iowa and Iowa, Michigan, State Michigan State was yeah. 36. Oh, on Saturday for the, morning. For the total? For the total. Oh. And I bet the over because I'm like, there's no way. And, and they did and go yet. over. It was 42. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> but I was like, 30, that is a minuscule amount for college football. It's 36 points. It was 41 and a half before McNamara was declared out for the year. Now it's dropped down to 38 and a half. But this is an opportunity for Purdue. I Look, you, you look at Purdue's schedule. There's still... On track for bowl eligibility. You get IU at home to close the season. At Northwestern, two games you absolutely should win. Uh, Minnesota at home. Again, another very winnable game. Uh, Obviously, you go at Michigan. You host Ohio State. I still firmly believe the Boilers are splitting those games. I I think we're going to see Michigan and or Ohio State both have slip-ups. I just... You think Purdue can beat... I mean... 
I don't think they're going to beat Michigan, but I think it. I think we could see. I, I still feel confident about Purdue beating Ohio State. Like five years ago, they did it. Yeah. Um, at Nebraska, again, very winnable game. At Iowa, very winnable game. Like the Boilers still have a stretch here where you look at, at the games and outside of the Michigan game, because it's on the road, I feel like they have a shot in every single game left on the schedule. Yeah. I and, and even then, I don't trust Michigan because Michigan has played such a murderer's row of opponents this year that, you know, you just wonder how Michigan's going to look when they actually have to play tough teams. And that's not going to happen this week as they're at Minnesota. I think Purdue is a perfect example of what's wrong with the big 10. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit later in the second hour, but actually next. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, well, let's do it. But <laughs> you look at Purdue. I've watched enough Purdue the last two years to say, this is not a very good football team. It's decent. It can do some good things. It's not. We're not talking a really good team here. Okay, that we're, was evidence. We're, we're talking a six-seven win team. We're starting six or seven win that won. Well, how many games did they win last week? Last year, eight. Eight, and won the division. This is a lot better team last year. And then got rolled by Michigan, and then got rolled by LSU. Like this, Purdue is perfect evidence of why the Big Ten has a major football problem. Is because this team. And they were they were decent last year. They weren't a really good team. You didn't look at Purdue and say they had any shot of beating Michigan. They didn't. Definitely didn't have a shot of beating LSU. They the only reason why they have eight wins is because they're in the Big Ten. You pluck Purdue out last year, put them in the Big Twelve or the SEC. They're not winning eight games. They're not even reaching bowl eligibility if they're in the SEC at least. Maybe even the Big Twelve. Same thing this year. You look at that record or that that schedule and it's manageable. And that doesn't say anything to me about Purdue. It says everything about the rest of the Big Ten. Outside of Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, what is there to get excited about in Big Ten football? Nothing. It's bad. And Purdue is uh, Purdue is at the top of bad, but it's still not good. Like I'm, you watch Purdue and then you watch the Pac-12 this year, the SEC. The Big 12. I mean, Big 10 football is terrible. It's terrible. Uh, it's only better than the ACC because there are three top 10 teams, whereas the ACC has Florida State, and that's it because Clemson has fallen off a cliff the last couple of years. But still, if you took Clemson and put them in the West of the Big 10, oh, yeah, they they're rolling through the, they, the West. They, they dominate that division. They dominate that division. So even we're talking about, okay, Clemson's down, you put them in the West of the Big 10, and they roll everybody. It's text, just, it's terrible. Text coming in at 46862. Put the Purdue crack pipe down. I, I assume that's position at me. Look, them being a bowl team is not, not a stretch. No, but you're saying they can win any game on the schedule outside of at Michigan? Or I even, said, said, it, I said any of the games on the schedule, I think between Ohio State and Michigan, I think they pull an upset in one of those games. But, but beyond that, I'm not expecting them to win eight games here. I'm saying they're going to get to bowl eligibility. The they have only- two wins right now. If they win against Iowa, which could happen, could not. Again, a toss-up. Um, same with Nebraska. Minnesota, that's a win. Northwestern, that's a win. IU, that's a win. Uh, that gets them to five. And if you win one of Iowa, Nebraska, Ohio State, I don't think you're winning at Michigan. But I, I, I again, I, I think they can pull the upset at Ohio State. Call me crazy. You're crazy. Because What's- it's at Purdue. 
What what's what's what have you seen out of Purdue through the first five games? Losses to Fresno State, Syracuse, and Wisconsin in lopsided fashion, particularly those last two, that makes you think they can win against Ohio State or Michigan. I see a quarterback who is growing into his own that he's just had needed one good some game. confidence. Yeah. He's had one good game. Yeah, he needed some confidence. It's the same people that want to talk about how good Justin Fields is for one good game. <laughs> I want to have to I'm going to have to see it more we have a from lot Hudson more Card. of a sample size from Justin Fields than we do over Hudson. I know, Card. Well, I know. So why would why even less even less confidence that Hudson Card can be this multiple weeks. He had one good week and now all of a sudden we're talking about them winning I mean at least you're not saying they're going to win out or anything. No, I'm saying they're going to get to bowl eligibility, <laughs> which they need four wins yes. over the next six. I think that's very plausible. Seven. They got set four out of seven. I agree. There are three of those games to me that are basically absolute locks. Minnesota at Northwestern and IU. But the pro- but my thing is, is Purdue's only in this situation because the West is bad. And that doesn't make Purdue a good football team. No, it makes them a the best of mediocrity in a bad division. Is my thing. If I were to come up with a Big Twelve comparison for Purdue, it's Texas Tech, a program that should be going to bowl games every year. Great facilities, passionate fan base, um, uh, kind of more remote as far as from the rest of the conference in a way, um. Not like, you know, as close to a, a major city like West Lafayette, Lafayette, like that's it. Yeah. Like Bloomington is at least closer to Indianapolis. There's a little bit more of a connection there. Um, but and the talent is usually there for both programs. It's just a matter of the coaching and, and executing and winning the games you're supposed to win. And, and that's kind of where I see Purdue. Uh, they're the Big 12, the Texas Tech Big 12 equivalent program. Um, four six eight six two. Your text line number four six eight six two. Uh, a few texts coming in on Purdue, thinking Hudson Card can beat Ohio State or Michigan is one of the craziest things I've heard on radio. Here's the <laughs> thing: I've said this for a while. I told you I thought this Purdue team would pull the upset against Ohio State. I, I said this at the start of the season. This isn't anything new here. Call me crazy. But yeah, keep, keep the text coming to call Caleb crazy. <laughs> but then again, I will give you credit. I will say in 2018, when nobody gave yeah. Purdue a shot to beat Ohio State, they did in convincing fashion, beat them Correct. by 30. And that was a much better Ohio State team then. And it wasn't as good of, I think that Purdue team was better than this year, though, at the same time. Yes. Well, they had a lot more experience at the quarterback position, for example. I mean, that team lost to Eastern Michigan, I think, mm-hmm. that year. So there is precedent there. And I think if we had this show five years ago and you were saying the very th- very same thing, people would be texting the very same thing. And look what happened. Purdue went out and beat Ohio State. So anything's possible. But I just, I think between those two games, I, I think it'll be Ohio State over Michigan, to be clear. And I've said, I've called my shot with the Ohio State game since the start of the year. I've called my shot. This is nothing new here. Um, <laughs> Caleb, you're nuttier than squirrel poop. <laughs> edit that one. Uh, someone else, it will all look different when the Pac-12 teams arrive next year. Well, that's a perfect segue into our next topic because the Big Ten is sh- showing they don't deserve the TV deal they have, and I don't think the Pac-12 teams are going to fix that. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 
Welcome back to Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, 46862. The texts are rolling in. People are upset. I love it. 46862, the text line number 46862. Uh, someone saying, look at the top 10. Notre Dame wins out. They're in too many Big Ten and Pac, they said Pac-10, Pac-12 teams. In front of them, they will beat each other. That is a factor. We shall see. I mean, the Irish have to take care of business and prove they can take care of business against teams they're supposed to beat, let alone beating Notre- USC and beating Clemson on the road. Notre Dame's not winning out. Yeah, I, I don't not. think they're so not either. good enough to win. I think out. they'll they'll drop one more game at least. Yes, I agree. Uh, someone else, CK. Yeah, someone needs to go into concussion protocol because you might have brain damage <laughs> making a pick like that. Uh, get, call me crazy. I have been calling this since the start of the season. So yeah. I have said multiple times on the show. Purdue will beat Ohio State. Make sure to remember to listen to the show the Monday after. Yeah. Posit- and if if Caleb is right, everybody needs to text in and apologize. If he's wrong, continue the hate. Here's my reasoning. It, it, it goes beyond just Purdue's going to... Look, Purdue wins a game. They pull off a monumental upset almost every year, right? Yeah. We, we saw that, what, twice last year? with Michigan State and Iowa back when they were top five teams. Um, Ohio State goes to Penn State the following week. This is the classic trap game, as they say, in college football. And Purdue is going to be the benefactor. Hmm. Someone else, Notre Dame barely beat Duke. They just aren't special. I mean, that's up for debate. We'll yeah, talk Duke with, is good, though. Duke is really good. The people, people, Duke I, was a top 20 ranked team. And they're and good. With... with, with the issue, as far as their quarterback suffering the high ankle sprain, if he misses time, unfortunately yeah, that derails their season. But Duke is a ACC championship contending team. Like if we're going to play that game on this team only beat this team barely, then you got to say it about Georgia. Georgia only beat a mediocre Auburn team barely by on seven. the road. They only okay. beat a mediocre South Carolina team by yeah. What, so ten. if we're judging Notre Dame At by home. that, you have to judge everybody by that. My thing, a win is a win is a win, especially against a ranked team on the road in primetime, and Notre Dame was able to get it done. They couldn't get it done against Ohio State, but we'll see if Purdue can, and Caleb says they will. Uh, Someone else at 46862. CK, Purdue beats OSU. I agree. The only reason Ohio State beat Notre Dame is because it was 11 versus 10. Ouch. Uh, So speaking of Big Ten, so you you touched on this about the Big Ten being bad outside of three teams. Uh, the Big Ten, this is the first year, and it's kind of limited, of their new TV deal with Fox and CBS and NBC. Limited because CBS is only airing a limited amount of games. It's not the, the full picture. But after yesterday and how the Big Ten is screwing over their fan base, I don't know how else to say it. Purdue gets three straight Peacock games. Peacock is airing nine games all season. Nine college <laughs> football games three, uh... all season. <laughs> And Purdue gets three in a row. So yeah, Purdue, Ohio State at noon on Peacock. This was a game that if ESPN still had Big Ten rights, this would be a night game on ABC or on ESPN. uh, The way it should be. Um, You have IU on big noon kickoff at Michigan that same week. So not this weekend, but next weekend. Why? I'll tell you why. Because it's at the big house or at the the horseshoe. And if if Purdue... at At the big house. Yes. Yeah. For Michigan. It's, it, those are the only two atmospheres they care about, and Penn State. is That's a big noon kickoff because it's at the big house. And why Purdue-Ohio State is on Peacock is because it's at Purdue. 
That's why. Even it though it'll right? be a no. better environment at Purdue. Probably. I mean, Michigan fans don't care about them playing IU. No, Come but on. they'll still be over 100,000 people there. It's true. Uh, and the other problem that the Big Ten is facing, so with these stream games, like you can get away with that for college uh, basketball, which also heads up. A lot of college basketball games are going to be on Peacock, so get ready, Big Ten fans. Uh, Peacock is relatively affordable, I'll give it that, but outside of that, it sucks. What's like uh, five or six dollars? Yeah, it's like six bucks a month, and you can find cheaper deals than that. And you can get it for like two, three months, and then cancel it. Yes, you're not locking in for a year contract. But but like as that. far as uh, it's not user friendly, the interface is terrible. I still am shocked that the interface hasn't been improved. Yeah, th- that's the biggest thing. And here's the thing: I was trying to go back and watch the Purdue game this past weekend. Uh, there's can there's no you? easy way to fast. Like you can watch a replay. But there are a million commercial breaks built in. It's not limited commercials. And it stops it, right? Because yeah, and it you can't stops, go through the yeah. commercials. It yeah, plays it the commercials. Fast forward. It's it's terrible. Um, Unless you like watching thirty years of Law and Order shows, there's no other reason to have Peacock other than live sports. Yeah, and, and unfortunately for sports fans, Peacock has a lot of live sports. We know because we're IndyCar fans. The only way for us to watch IndyCar practice, qualifying, and, and now two races out of the seventeen race season. Is that peacock? peacock? I did last week cancel my Peacock. I've kept it only because, well, there are football games now on it. <laughs> and, and I'm only paying 99 cents a month. I got like a special deal, nice. so I don't care That's that much. That's not that big of a deal. But, but and, if, you're a three fan, Purdue, if you're a Purdue fan, yeah. you better have Peacock if I, you want to watch the I boilers. Hope you got it just for the next 30 days to, to cover it. Uh, but the Big Ten, is, so Notre Dame USC is the NBC primetime game. Uh, next Saturday, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. Otherwise, again, we'd have Purdue, Ohio State at night on ABC or ESPN or whatever. Uh, people say, well, you add the, the Pac-12 teams coming in, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. That'll fix all these problems, right? No, it'll just make the games bigger only when they play each other or Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State. Otherwise, who and that's only a novelty factor for the first year or two, right? As far as the scheduling goes. And then you get past that. No one cares. Well, I think the problem with the Big Ten that other... It seems like every week, almost every week, the SEC has a big game somewhere. Somewhere, two team, two ranked teams are playing each other. This year, it's been the Pac-12 as well. Every week, it seems like there's a big game in the Pac-12. Even the Big 12, with this, this, this weekend, the Red River shootout with Oklahoma and Texas. Of course, both those teams will be in the SEC next year. But every weekend, it seems there's a big game in one of those leagues. There is not a big game in the Big Ten unless one of the top three are playing each other, which we haven't had yet. You look at this week's schedule. Nebraska at Illinois on Friday night. Snooze. Maryland at Ohio State. Big noon kickoff. Could be interesting because Maryland has a really good offense. Yeah, but does Maryland get exposed as a weak undefeated team? Rutgers at Wisconsin. At nope. least there's intrigue with that Maryland Ohio yes. State game. Okay, Rutgers Wisconsin. Yeah, that's no. on Peacock. No. no, Howard at Northwestern. So oh, Northwestern. Riveting. Yeah, uh, Purdue at Iowa. Let's be honest. You're only watching if you're a Purdue or Iowa fan. Correct. Uh, Michigan at Minnesota. That is the NBC primetime game. Uh, Minnesota is terrible. So that's uh, this yeah, week. Row the then, boat hasn't worked then, out so then far. Next this week year. it gets worse. IU at Michigan on Big Noon kickoff, as we detailed. Meanwhile, at the same time, you have Ohio State at Purdue on Peacock. Uh, they haven't finalized, I don't think, the rest of the schedule, but you have UMass at Penn State <laughs> in an afternoon time slot. Michigan State at Rutgers at noon. 
Iowa at Wisconsin, you would hope, is the, the primetime matchup. And then Illinois at Maryland. I mean, it's another barn burner of a week for the Big Ten. And, and here's the thing. Like, the Big Ten can have one marquee game a week, but they don't have enough as a conference. There's not enough depth. They don't even have, have one marquee game a week. National t- like national TV any interesting kind of games every a, week, like Maryland, Charlotte in week two on NBC in primetime told you all you needed to know Purdue and Syracuse. Nobody cares. And you're seeing huge numbers for Notre Dame, Ohio state. Anytime Colorado is on, I'm sure we'll hear about the ratings for Colorado USC. Surprised we haven't already. Yeah. Um, that'll come in out the near today. future is that'll be huge is, but nobody's watching big 10 football. Nobody's watching Minnesota and Wisconsin and Purdue and Iowa, and Rutgers and Maryland. Nobody's watching these games. And now all of a sudden, you're going to be in the, at the national forefront multiple times a weekend coming up starting next year. And nobody's going to be watching these games. All they're going to do is watch and say how bad this league is. Noon at 3.30 and 7.30, we're going to have to deal with these matchups. At least the Pac-12 teams coming in and then playing their first game at you know, Wisconsin and Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan. But you just you named that. the three teams we care about. Yes, I know. Well, I added Wisconsin. Yeah, because which that, maybe they'll Ohio get back State, with Luke Fickle. But uh, it's not all of addition. a sudden, it's not raising the floor at the bottom. No, it's just, it's, it's adding teams to the top. Correct. And, and the, the problem is beyond that, like at least the SEC for a long time, this year is an exception. Even the bottom teams, you at least had some intrigue in the middle of the pack. There's no intrigue in the middle of the pack. There's for no the Big Ten. There's no yeah. There's no second tier. It goes first tier and then basically third tier and worse. I mean, you look at the the West, and I know Purdue fans, you won the West, but is that really something to be proud of when you look at this 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 division? Wisconsin, Minnesota, Purdue, Iowa, Northwestern, Illinois, Nebraska. It's a terrible football division for the last couple of years. Nebraska stinks. Wisconsin is down as well. That was looked upon as your two power teams, traditional powers in that division. They're both down. Northwestern has its problems. Illinois was good last year, or pretty decent. Still couldn't win the division. Minnesota stinks. Iowa stinks. Purdue stinks. I mean, in the big set, big the big picture of college football, it's just a bad division. It's a conference that is propped up by three teams and a lot of mediocrity underneath it. That's the reality. Someone else texting in 46862. CK, I'm a Purdue fan, but I'm not a Peacock subscriber. I subscribe to ESPN Plus and draw the line there. I didn't dump cable to get innumerable streaming services. Another problem that sports fans are going to start facing. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunately, and that's why and I've talked about it to, with my wife. Like, that's the only reason why we still have Hulu TV is because of live sports. I have YouTube TV reason. and split the cost so that it's at least somewhat affordable. Yeah. With a friend. I mean, it's we not get $75 a month. We split that. Thankfully we get the bundle. So we get Hulu TV, Hulu, Disney plus and ESPN plus, And the cost just went up to like $81 a month. Jeez. For at least you get all three of those. Yeah, yeah. It's bundled, but still like we, I can't remember the last time I watched a show on regular Hulu. It's just all live sports is what we watch. And um, I'm sure as hell not watching any Big Ten football. It's so bad. Uh, Someone else, CK, the Pac-12 joining is going to affect recruiting. Everyone's going to go to USC for football. 
Well, yeah. Everybody because already kind of does why, why wouldn't you want to go to USC? And Lincoln Riley's an elite recruiter, at least on offense. Now, at least, you know, defensively, USC is still going to be a joke. Uh, real quick, before we get to hour number two, uh, an NBA player you've never heard of just got a huge deal. Have you heard of Devin Vassell? Never heard of this man in my I life. I have never heard of him either. He plays for the Spurs. He just got a five-year, $146 million contract. Really? Yes. He averaged 18.5 points and four assists last year. No, three and a half assists. Now, the Spurs were terrible last year. That's why they have Victor Wimbanyama and now have a lot of hype going into this season. But yes, huh. he, he got State. a contract extension. I've literally never heard of him. Rookie scale extension. Part of the 2020 draft class. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. He only played 38 games last year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right? There's... Uh, that that's just do I they know, have to reach the salary cap floor or something? I think so. Oh man, a lot of lot Lucky of guy. He hasn't done a lot to a lot of a lot of interesting moves to to get that kind of money. Only playing thirty eight games and not being a, a known commodity in the NBA. Coming up on the other side, hour number two. It's time for a franchise to move on from a legendary coach. Next on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty the fan and one hundred point nine FM. Hour number two, happy October 3rd. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Caleb and Kinney in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Very busy hour one of the show. If you missed anything, download it on your your favorite podcast platform. Coming up later this morning, look for it around 1030. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, all for free. You can check out hour number one if you missed it on the podcast page. Uh, you can also reach us on the text line 46862, the text line number 46862. Just type in CK before your message. You can also stream us 1380thefan.com be the 1380thefan app or your smart speaker all for free. Reach us on Twitter. Caleb Kinney 1380 the show handle. My handle is Caleb Hatch and Justin's is OPS. That's how you get in touch with us on the show this morning coming to this hour on the show it's time for a legendary coach to be on the chopping block from one of the top franchises in the nfl also the pitch clock works but angel hernandez doesn't look at where things stand uh, ahead of the baseball postseason and bryce vance host of behind the rails podcast on the believe network who covers purdue will be with us to preview purdue and iowa talk a little big 10 football as well in the process. He'll join us around 8.30. And before we leave you this morning, there's a new burger on the menu for Phillies fans just in time for the postseason. The Kyle Schwarberger will give you the details on this colossal, colossal food item. That's coming up again as we wrap things up around 8.50 or so. Busy first hour today. Got people, got, got people fired up. Fiery and, first hour. And, and usually perhaps, it's me. It's, it was yeah. you. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I'm just on one today, I guess. And it's going to continue this hour. Yes, it will. Now, I don't, I don't feel like this, on paper, it's maybe a hot take, but in reality, I don't think it's that hot of a take. And I think people will agree just yes, uh, well. <laughs> with, who this guy is. Yes, exactly. Uh, but you, you look at how things are going in the NFL. For one of the, the longtime top franchises in the league, and it's clear there are some problems. No one's denying that. And I'm talking about the New England Patriots. Mac Jones has not panned out. Uh, he had 
one decent season. He's fallen back to earth. He is not the answer as far as being a franchise quarterback for the New England Patriots. I think that much is clear. He got benched in Sunday's game. But Bill Belichick coming off his worst loss ever as a head coach in 29 seasons in the NFL. A 35-point blowout loss at Dallas on Sunday. This was, to me, as clear as day of a sign. It's time for the Patriots to move on from Bill Belichick. The problem is, it's not as simple as you think because of how long Bill Belichick has been with the New England franchise. Now, Belichick's fingerprints are all over the place. I mean, think about, he's made every assistant coach hire. He's made pretty much every hire related to football within this franchise going on for, for over 20 years now. So you can't just fire him and, and bring in someone else. You have to completely clean house and start over from scratch. But it's clear that the game has moved on from Bill Belichick. He's a defensive coach. Defensive coaches simply aren't winning in today's NFL. It's an offensive game. And we saw how terrible that went last year with Matt Patricia as the, the offensive mind. Uh, Bill Belichick, for all the success he had, now that he doesn't have Josh McDaniels around him and he doesn't have Tom Brady around him, it's clear that he simply is, is he's, he's an all-time great coach. But in today's NFL, with how he runs the franchise, and you got to remember, he's more than just the head coach. He's the GM. He's got pretty much total control outside of owning the franchise when it comes to the Patriots. And this is a a guy who is going to win you six, seven, eight games a year. But you're capped. And and yes, you can make the argument, well, if they get a franchise quarterback, everything gets fixed. And I'd say I disagree because again, you got to have a unique and dynamic offense in mind. And Bill Belichick simply is just not going to do that. He's going to keep hiring his people over and over and over again. And unless he, he shows he's going to go a different route, they're not going to be a contender anytime soon in the NFL. Have we seen enough with Bill Belichick to put to rest the Brady or Belichick question on who made who? Yes, it was Brady. I, I it was always Brady. Yes. Um, absolutely. And we've seen that post Tom Brady in New England. No playoff wins since winning the Super Bowl in 2018. One playoff appearance. Uh, two. Went two. Oh, 2019 yeah, right. and 2021. Yeah, but they but were no never playoff wins. They were never a threat. Right. Uh, just one year. Well, they went 12 and four in 2019. But that was still with Brady. But Brady, yeah. So that was so so only one playoff appearance post Brady. You're correct. That was in 2021. That's been the only over 500 year since Brady was 10 and seven in 2021. I don't know if you ever get to a point where you're firing Bill Belichick as much as he's retired, retiring uh, by force. Maybe but, but isn't, like that. isn't that the problem though? He's 71 years old. Correct. They're not going to be a contender anytime soon. Like not, not it, at most, Jones. at most, if they draft a quarterback and he pans out, it, it will take a couple more seasons before they're even a Super Bowl contender again. We're at the point with the Patriots where they're just kicking the can down the road. Bill Belichick, all-time great. He gets a pass, I think, from a lot of people because of that. But in reality is, they're not winning anything now, and they're not winning anything anytime soon. I think it brings up a greater question and an interesting question on how long the leash is for legendary coaches or legendary players. Because 
both tend to try to hang on as long as they can. And how do you approach getting rid of a legend, whether it's a coach or a player, when the game has passed them by? And you can argue that the game has passed Bill Belichick by. But what he's done for the franchise over the better part of 20 years probably buys him a little bit more time. But when does that time up? Well, and and how much of it is they either need him to just be the head coach or just be the GM, but he's not going to want to give up either of those roles. Like you, you, if you want him to stay and give him, you know, another opportunity, you have to take away one of those things. And I don't think he's giving up either. And And that's the problem. But I don't know if Robert Kraft is in a position where he wants to do that to Bill Belichick either. No, that's a dude barely hanging on us. Remember how much they battled back and forth internally. True. Between, you know, Belichick's like, no, we can replace Brady. We'll get somebody else. It'll be fine. Um, As opposed to Kraft. Being like, no, it's Tom Brady. He's the guy. We need to keep him. They moved on from Brady, and 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 Kraft was proven correct. <laughs> it was Brady. Yeah. Four, it was six, always Brady. Yes. Four six eight six two is since they got caught videoing practices of their opponents. McDaniel's, Patricia, and Belichick haven't done anything as head coaches. It's true. That that whole that whole coaching tree hasn't done much anything. No. Bill O'Brien. Um. Charlie Weiss was on it. Romeo Cornell, Al Groh. Um, then again, Nick Saban was a Belichick assistant. So was uh, Brian Flores, who's having success at Miami. But um, not anymore. What you mean? You mean Mike Brian Flores? No, he's not. Yeah, Brian Miami. Flores was there until what twenty twenty one. Yeah, and then he had obviously that <laughs> big falling out, right? With Miami. slightly. Yeah. <laughs> um, current coaches, Brett Bielema, um, <laughs> Brian DeBall of the Giants. <laughs> yeah, that one worked well. out. But it is a good point in terms of protégés of Bill Belichick don't exactly have a sterling coaching record. No. And and outside of Nick Saban, you know, being part of that coaching tree, um, that's really the, the one that people can point to. And yes, everyone's an assistant under somebody at some point, right? Uh, how much stock do you put it? Like, do you put stock when it's a, you know, you're together for like one season or is it more of, okay, if they worked under someone for three, four, five years, and I get it, that's not as common in the NFL. Guys change jobs all the time. Coaches get hired and fired all the time. Right. But, you know, th- at some point you have to look at it on a bit of bigger picture aspect as far as having more experience than one or two seasons with someone to count them in their coaching tree. Hmm. It's, um, it's an interesting question because when you look at Bill Belichick, now one in three this season, the Patriots are, they were eight, and nine last year, missed the playoffs. Of course, this is just how long does he get because of what he's done? And if you are a firmly in the Tom Brady camp, you say, well, he's not going to, he hasn't done anything without Tom Brady. True. So how long does he get? And I think that's a definite question for Bill Belichick going forward. How long does he have? And does he is he able to call his own shot? Has he earned that? I don't know. Also, everyone wants to point to uh, Nick Saban, Coach or Bill Belichick, and obviously Saban had success with the Browns. But he also said that his four years with the Browns 
were the quote worst of my life. I think so. a lot of people could say that their time in, in Cleveland was the worst. Take of that life. for what it's worth, whether it's time with Cleveland or in Cleveland or time with Bill Belichick. You, you could take it either direction there. Um, probably a little bit of both, I would say. But we'll be it, 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 interesting to follow because you look at that division too, and there are no gimmies in that division. You could say that's arguably the most difficult division in football outside the Jets. Correct. This year. Uh yeah, the Jets on paper were supposed to be decent, but you look at Miami and Buffalo. Maybe the top 2 teams, two of the top 3 teams in the AFC, probably two of the top 3 teams, uh two of the top 4 in all of football because I would put Dallas up there right now. But that can change week to week. But it's a difficult division and it doesn't give them a lot of confidence to try and work their way up the standings when you have to play Buffalo twice, you have to play Miami twice, and then uh, you're pretty comparable to the Jets right now. Mac Jones and Zach and uh, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, I would put as comparable quarterbacks to me, in my mind. Zach Wilson, a guy with all the talent in the world, but no work ethic. Mac Jones. Unless you go Bailey Zapp again. (laughs) Well, they got rid of him, so I I don't know if he's coming back. Yeah. I thought they... Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, they, they cut him in the, the preseason. Remember, the, the preseason, they got rid of him and had no backup quarterback for No, because they brought him back because I thought he played uh, this past week. He did. They he benched did. Oh, Mac so Jones. They did, they did bring him back. Yeah, they benched Mac Jones and Bailey Zapp played. They also have Will Greer as a third quarterback. I can't, I can't believe he's... go to West he's, Virginia? He's still in the NFL. Yeah. Transferred around. Hmm. I, I can't believe he's still in the NFL. Now, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that I'm still surprised are still around. <laughs> 46862, the text line number 46862. Coming up on the other side, the pitch clock works. Angel Hernandez doesn't. Talking about the baseball season interview next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, you're on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Text line always open for you at 46862. Uh, We were talking about Bill Belichick and his coaching tree. Someone texted in, whose coaching tree has the most success? Bob Knight, Coach Gene Cady, or Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski. I'm going to go with Bob Knight only because Coach K is on the Bob Knight coaching tree. It's like, yeah, that's, to uh, me, kind that's of a, a gimme, right? Kind of the, the gimme thing there is that because Coach K is part of the Bob Knight coaching tree, it's obviously that one. I would go that way too. Pretty, pretty simple answer on that. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball, the pitch clock final numbers in. Game time's down 24 minutes to two hours and 40 minutes a game this season on average. That's the positive. I think hmm. everyone can say that the pitch clock worked. Definitely worked early in the season. It seemed to provide you know, better TV ratings, and we'll see how it impacts the postseason starting today because it will still be active. Meanwhile, Angel Hernandez, lowest-rated umpire this season. <laughs> Big shock. Unclear if he will call postseason games. Now, he's not umped a World Series since 2005, so I don't think that will change anytime soon. But I think the biggest thing that I'm looking at in baseball is the impact of the pitch clock in the postseason because postseason games would run really, really long. Now, the advantage they had is that the the level of anticipation and you know every single play, every single batter, every reliever seemed to matter, right? And now moving forward, how will that change? How will that be different with the pitch clock? That's, I think, my biggest question 
entering this postseason? Well, at the very least, they're keeping the rules mainly the same, which I think is is good for continuity and good for the playoffs. I I don't think it's an appreciable appreciable change because I know the pitchers, right? I got to rush, but at the same time, I think it affects the batters as much because I looked at the batters as more the problem with the delay in games because after every pitch, how many of them have to step out, adjust their their uh, batting, batting gloves, gloves, their helmets, all that stuff after every single pitch. So it's just as Im- impacting as much, in my opinion, the batters as it is the pitchers. And I, th- I say I look forward to watching the playoffs more so than any previous years recently because I know that most games aren't going to go very long. And if they do, there's real ramifications. It's not a May game that's in the 12th inning that you just wish would end. It's an important game in the playoffs. And well, I think that's the thing. The playoffs for me as going for it is that the you know the games matter and because there are so many games in the regular season, the postseason, the games take extra meaning. So I I'm excited for the pitch clock and how it will impact the postseason because I think, like you said, if if we can just get games under three hours mostly, right. I think that's a win. Like I think games are gonna take longer that two hour and 40 minute mark most of the time because there'll be more pitching changes. But beyond that, I think baseball's in a good spot here. Well, and remember there's no ghost runner rule in the playoffs. So you don't start extra innings with a runner on second. I don't like them calling it the ghost runner rule because the ghost runner means there's no runner. It's a ghost. We all played wiffle ball back in the day, Yeah, but the ghost runner starts on first as well. They don't start on second. Yeah, they do in extra innings. No, no, no. I'm saying, though, when you're playing wiffle ball. Right. Well, it did. Yeah, they, they, yeah true. The ghost runner's there wherever base you ended up, but usually Correct. they start on first. Yes. But they they call it the ghost runner, but it's not a ghost runner. We all know what the true ghost runner yeah. is. If there's someone on the base, day. it's not a ghost runner. Yeah. It's an so, actual base runner. <laughs> we all know that it's not a true ghost runner. We all played with ghost runners back in the day. Who do you like for the World Series? Atlanta. Same. <laughs> then again, there's been very uh, many an Atlanta Braves team that have been very good that haven't won the World Series. True, but this team just feels different. That that was also the '90s. I feel like it is different. They like in the '90s they had great pitching, and they had Chipper Jones and, and Bobby Cox, yeah. manager. It, but now it, it feels like they have a, a guy who hit over 50 home runs that <laughs> no one's no one's paying any attention to. Um, and then they also have Ronald Acuna Jr., one of the best players, the most dynamic players in all of baseball. Yeah, you got Acuna. Um, a lot of dudes that can rake on that team, and the pitching is pretty solid as well. So when you look at uh, Matt Olson, yeah, I, Matt I, Olson, the sad part is, is like the top again, hit he hit fifty homers, fifty homers, first player to reach that mark this year, and yet he's. A Nobody guy, no one, no, yeah, no one knows who he is. Everybody knows Acuna. Um, Spencer Strider is a phenomenal pitcher. Most wins of anybody in Major League Baseball went twenty and five. ERA isn't the best, but he is a strikeout king and gets dubs. And Austin Riley too, I think, is an underrated player as well. And um, he he's one of the better third basemen in Major League Baseball that nobody really knows about. Four six eight six two. The text line number 46862. Meanwhile, on the other side, we'll talk with Bryce Vance, uh, Behind the Rails podcast on the Believe Network, previewing Purdue and Iowa. Boilers get a break. 
Also, Big Ten fans and Purdue fans in particular are getting frustrated by the TV deal. We'll talk about all that and more next with Bryce fans here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on a Tuesday, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you, 46862 is the text line, how you reach us. Also, don't forget... Uh, sign up for the free fan club email list. You can get game schedules and more right to your inbox. Sign up at 1380thefan.com. Just click on the on-demand tab on the website, or even easier, you can text FAN to 46862 and get all the info right there. Efforting to get a hold of Bryce Vance of Beyond the Rails podcast on the Believe Network, talking Purdue and Big Ten football. Uh, Purdue getting set for their matchup against Iowa this Saturday afternoon on the road. Uh, The second of three straight on Peacock. And I know Bryce Vance is upset about this. And I think Purdue fans and I'm sure Iowa fans and even Ohio State fans for the game the following week upset about this. This is the new reality, though, in college football, Bryce. Peacock is not going anywhere. And college football and basketball fans are unfortunately going to have to get used to it. Yeah, I mean, you said. It. I mean, I was gonna say if you if you're a Purdue fan and and you uh, uh, also like the basketball team, you also might want to get Peacock now because this is this is where uh, college sports are headed for the moment with uh, their TV deals and and how um, you know the the Big Ten has signed up with with Fox and and NBC and and it's uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, I. Luckily, I already had Peacock because, you know, I've, I've watched Notre Dame in the past, um, including a game earlier this season. And it's just the way that, you know, college sports um, are headed with the, with the, like I said, with these TV deals. Um, but I think that, um, you know, what we're going to have to find is maybe, you know, eventually, you know, I think it all might come back back around. It, it does seem a little unfair that three weeks in a row is is a little bit much, and they are uh, the the most featured team on Peacock so far this season. And uh, we'll see how far the rest of the season goes. But um, I think for for right now, I think they have. I think Purdue fans have a little bit of of a right to be upset with just how much they're on Peacock at the moment. Yeah, you talk about that aspect, the three straight games. Um, is this something the Big Ten maybe needs to take a look at and say every team needs to, to be on Peacock at least once, but make sure that teams aren't getting more than a certain number, like say two games on Peacock throughout a season? Because for Purdue, you're talking about a huge loss of exposure for some big games. I mean, Iowa, decent matchup, but then the Ohio State game being a Peacock exclusive game huge loss of exposure for your program on a national level now three straight weeks. Yeah, of course. I think that there needs to be some kind of um, maybe some stipulation, some rule in place that, you know, you only have a certain amount of games of of your home games, uh, um, more of your conference games um, on, on Peacock or any streaming service. So, I mean, I, I would be, um, very uh, upset if I already already didn't have to already have it and had to pay for it and keep having to pay for it, you know, because you, you know, I know there's some discounts and stuff like that for you know for students or or you know there's some promo codes or, or what have you, but 
if you're just going to have to, you know, I think bite the bullet, unfortunately, uh, just because basketball season's coming up and it's going to be going to be the same. Um, just because uh, you, you just don't know exactly. I mean, we haven't even gotten the, the TV schedule out for a lot of the Big Ten uh, stuff for basketball yet, um, and, and I'm sure when that comes out, there's going to be a list of, of Peacock games, probably multiple for, for a lot of teams, um, especially the, the programs. Maybe not maybe not Purdue You know, this upcoming season because their men's basketball season is going to be uh, pretty good again, um, and that they might not be on Peacock um, maybe – for their high, more high-profile games, um, but I think you know maybe for some non-conference games uh, for for a lot of a lot of the teams. But those lower programs in the Big Ten, those lower basketball programs, and um, you know I would expect you know a lot of their games to be on on Peacock, um, on, unfortunately, or or any streaming service. So um, the Ohio State game I thought was a little bit of a surprise, you know, because uh, you know Ohio State has such a, a huge fan base. Um, you know, that watches the game. I mean, they draw, you know, so many million viewers uh, per week just as a, as a baseline. Um, but maybe that's what, you know, NBC was going for. You know, we're going to, you know, try to, you know, get Ohio State fans in the door with this Peacock uh, game and, and try to get them uh, to pay for the service. So uh, it's, it's unfortunate. And I think we've talked about in the past that, you know, a lot of, a lot of these decisions are, are driven by TV money and it's, you know, going to be that way for a while. Bryce, we talked in the first hour about the opportunity that Purdue has this weekend going to Iowa with Cade McNamara out for the season, the quarterback of Iowa. We saw Hudson Card have arguably his best game of the season, particularly in avoiding turnovers. So you look at this game for Purdue coming off a impressive win at home, its first win at home of the season. Is this an opportunity, as, as much as we've talked about in the first hour, for the Boilermakers to go on the road and get a road Big Ten win? I think so. I think it's a, I think it's a huge opportunity. Um, obviously, with Cade McNamara being out for the rest of the year, I think you um, have an even better chance of, of pulling off the upset. Um, I think with the line opened at, at Iowa minus four. Um, but I think that um, this is a huge opportunity, not only for this weekend. I, I think that the defense um, has played its best week, uh, plus best game uh, against Illinois, and, and Ryan Walters is going up and uh, up against his former team, obviously. But you know him being down on the field and, and being inv- a little bit more involved with the defense. Now I'm working with the defensive coordinator Kevin Kane and calming the defense. I think was a, a huge um, improvement, and also you know having Graham Harrell up in the press box. I thought. You know, change some things as well, giving him a different perspective rather than him being on the field, and and that's how it's going to be going forward um, with both the coordinators um, going up in the press box and and you know uh, having other assistants down the field. And I think that's you know I think why change it if it, if it works one week, um, we'll see if it, if it works again this weekend. Um, but going forward, you know if if. Purdue does, in fact, still have you know a decent chance of getting to a bowl game. You got to have this game uh, because you know you have the two games at the end of the year, uh, Northwestern and IU, that you know seem more winnable than than you know the Ohio State and Michigan game. Um, but then the Minnesota and Nebraska game are kind of you know similar to this this game this weekend. It's kind of a 50-50 game. It could go either way. If, Depending on which which Purdue team shows up, you know it's the one that doesn't turn the ball over and 
and, uh, and plays efficiently and can run the ball effectively, or is the team that's going to be turning the ball over multiple times a game? You know, I think that you know Purdue showed some real signs of improvement, um, you know, schematically and game plan wise. You know, with how they ran the ball last week offensively, if they can establish that, um, I think that's definitely going to be um, a, a good um, way to go against an Iowa team that has you know just a spectacular defense once again this year. Bryce Vance, Beyond the Rails podcast on the Believe Network with us on the guest line. A player who had a breakout Saturday. Purdue fans know the last name. They know the name. Yanni Karloftis had his best game as a boiler. Eight tackles and a sack in the win. Uh, He's moved ahead of OC Brothers on the depth chart after an injury. Uh, Could he be the player that defensively can help turn around Purdue's season and and get them back on track to where they want to go? Um, I think so. Um, I mean, there's a good chance if, you know, I thought OC brothers, you know, had his moments as well, playing, playing pretty effectively, um, a couple of games prior. Um, I think if, if you could have, uh, more depth along that defensive, um, front seven, I think that's definitely going to be beneficial, especially when against the teams that you're going up against that really like to run the ball. Uh, establish the run, you know, case in point, Iowa this weekend. And and I think that if, if you can have more depth along that uh, front seven, I think it's going to be more beneficial in that. And then what we've seen from, from Yanni uh, the last couple of weeks is he's definitely, you know, anticipating um, and, and getting off blocks and, and making the right reads um, just more efficiently and more quicker. Uh, and that's coming with, you know, experience and, and obviously being thrown into the starting lineup uh, last week, I think definitely you know played a huge factor um, and a huge role um, of, of them winning, having a, his best game of the year. And I think as long as he keeps you know improving, uh, I think this defense is only going to get better. Um, and, and as I think as we saw last week, the def- defense took a, a big step, big step forward. Um, you know, with pressuring uh, Luke Altmaier all game, and he wasn't really able to get in in any type of rhythm offensively and, and really wasn't able to throw the ball downfield uh, to to his, some of his favorite weapons at times. So if you're able to do that against um, an offensive line against Iowa that's kind of struggled this year um, uh, tremendously with protecting Cade McNamara, um, I, I think that um, you should be able to get after the quarterback um, and, and force you know Iowa to really be a one-dimensional offense, which is you know kind of what they've been for a while now. When you look at this game, and it's it's the official halfway point for Purdue, six games done after this week, and then you have Ohio State, of course, that high new game coming up a week from Saturday. But if you're evaluating Purdue right now through the first five games, Bryce, and what we expected or what you expected with Ryan Walters, Hudson Card, and company, what have been what were your expectations? Have they met, exceeded, not 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 reached those expectations? How would you break down these first five games? Yeah, I don't, I don't think they met my expectations um, at all. I, I expected them to, you know, at least have, um, I think, three three or four wins at this point um, just because I thought those non-conference games, they were going to win um, at least two out of the three. Um, and then, you know, they just, they just didn't perform. The, you know, and those, tur- those turnovers, um, you know, hurt, especially in that Syracuse game. Um, they they were able to move the ball, and I think that's what we've seen with this offense is that they've been able to move the ball, 
they just haven't been able to finish a lot of these drives, um, whether it be turnovers or having to, you know, punt or or a missed field goal. I mean, they just they haven't had a, a good job of finishing, and that's you know the same for the defense. Um, you know, they they've been able to get a lot of these teams to third down and, and third and long, especially you know getting them to a lot of you know third and tens um, or more. And somehow the opposing teams here early on have you know found a a way to get that first down on on sometimes a broken play, whether you know Purdue's playing too loose of a coverage, uh, whether they're playing you know a, a prevent defense uh, so to speak to you know allow some yardage, um, but then you know it comes up to a, a missed tackle by by someone, and then the play breaks loose, and they just get the first down. Now, what they did do last week is, is get off the field on, on third down. You know, I, I think Illinois started out the game uh, over its first 10 attempts on third down, and they ended up getting two uh, first downs on third down uh, you know, in, in garbage time. But So that's, that's where I think that this, this Purdue team showed big signs of improvement last week is extending drives on third down and getting off the field on third down on defense, and that's just – um, they just weren't able to finish um, in, in in the first four weeks of the of the season, and they were able to do that last uh, last week. So hopefully, that's a, a trend that continues for the Boilermakers. Bryce Vance, Beyond the Rails podcast, Believe Network, with us. Before we let you go, how big was getting a win for Hudson Card and his confidence moving forward the rest of the season? Uh, I think it was huge. Uh, I think that um, with the way that he has played. Um, I, I think he, um, coming into this year, you didn't really know where he would be, um, you know, in, in terms of the hierarchy of, of Big Ten quarterbacks, but I think he might be slowly moving up uh, that, that, you know, hierarchy. I, I think he's, you know, maybe creeping into the, the top five of, of Big Ten quarterbacks, but just because... I think there's a lot of quarterbacks, especially in, in the Big Ten West, that you know haven't played all that well. Um, and, and you have you know the three three or four quarterbacks on the east side of the, of the conference that have played you know pretty well for the most part, um, or, or have played a little bit better than Hudson Card. But I, I think that what he has done for this offense, I think it. I don't think it's still even where this offense really wants to get to, um, just because the the big explosive plays that. You know, I thought where the expectation coming into this season really haven't been there um, yet um, consistently. You know, they'll have, you know, one um, here to Deion Burks or to T.J. Sheffield, but they, they really haven't had a, a ton of, of opportunities uh, just because sometimes the offensive line breaks down or, you know, it just really hasn't been able to, you know, fully take advantage of what the air raid offense wants to be. Um, especially how they performed on the ground uh, last week. I think we are, are seeing more of a, of a balanced uh, type offense, and if they're able to perform like they were last week, I think we could see that uh, more going forward. Bryce Vance, Beyond the Rails podcast on the Believe Network, joining us previewing Purdue, Iowa. Bryce, as always, thanks for the time, and uh, we'll chat down the road. All right, thanks, guys. That's Bryce Vance with us coming up on the other side. Would you eat the Kyle Schwarberger? Details next as we wrap it up. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. I got too impatient waiting for the song to get going. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, Michael Jackson. He takes a little if bit. I just would have waited two more seconds. That's all right. 
It's okay. We got we got places to be. That's right. Wrapping up today, um, there is a new burger that you can get if you are a Phillies fan or attending any games at Citizens Bank Park in the postseason. The Schwarberger, yes, named after Kyle Schwarber, former IU baseball player, former Chicago Cub, now with the Phillies. Half pound burger, smoked barbecue brisket, Cooper Sharp American cheese, bacon, onion rings, onion rings plural, stacked, cherry pepper relish on a brioche bun. Hmm. You can get it at the ballpark. Uh, it was starting last week and throughout the, the rest of the playoffs for the Phillies. And the best thing is uh, portion proceeds from sales will benefit Schwarber's Neighborhood Heroes, which provides opportunities for first responder families. This looks pretty good. I, I am one. I am a sucker for crazy food combos. Like I love all the weird things you can get at like the fair or yeah. three rivers festival or whatever. Now is it, is it, it's, is it huge? Like, is it, it's tall? Yes. Because tall. The, the so how, onion do you, rings, how would you eat it? Um, my get, I would take probably the onion rings off and eat them individually. Okay. And then just put the bun and then that would make on, it on edible the bacon and the burgers with your mouth. Yes. Yeah. That's what I would do now. Kyle Schwarber. So his, his, uh, his, his burger is big. Yes. Enters the playoffs hitting under 200. Yeah. He's hit 197 this year, 47 homer, 104 RBI, 215 strikeouts. Which means he's going to hit a bunch of home runs this postseason. <laughs> home runs or strikeouts, <laughs> either or. He is Adam Dunn. He is Dave Kingman. He is all the classic power hitters that couldn't hit for average. That's Kyle Schwarber this year. But when he hits home runs, people love it. And will eat his burgers. Absolutely. That wraps it up for us today. Thanks to Bryce Vance for joining us for Justin Kinney. I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick Show coming up next, followed by The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And The Sports Rush with Brett Rump bringing you home from 4 to 6 here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.